Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next few moments, I'd like to invite you to stay tuned. It's going to be about 30 minutes of motivation, some inspiration, a lot of education with no manipulation. We don't have hidden agendas. We're not trying to con you into anything. We're trying to give you information that will help you verify and even identify the plan of God for your life. And if you can do that, you're free to orient and adjust to that plan. That's really up to you. But my job is to give you accurate information. Remember, our show is called The Flotline, F-L-O-T, and it's about building a forward line of troops in your soul. It is a military analogy that we're using, F-L-O-T, forward line of troops. That's not unusual. The Bible has a lot of military analogies in it. But what I'm telling you is that there are 10 unique problem-solving devices. And if you learn these and use them or deploy them in the forward compartment of your soul, then you'll be able to stop the outside sources of adversity way before they become the inside sources of stress. That's why my pastor always used to say, adversity is inevitable, stress is optional. Yes, I mean, adversity is what circumstances do to you, However, stress is what you do to yourself. So you never have to worry. You never have to be afraid. You never have to have bitterness. You never have to have implacability. That is not the Christian life. Those are all fruits of the flesh. There is a better, more unique way to live. And the Apostle Paul discovered this. You may remember the Apostle Paul who wrote over half of the New Testament, by the way, The book of Acts covers Paul's conversion, who, by the way, was a known murderer. He had killed Christians. He was on his road to capture some more Christians on the road to Damascus when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him. And uh, it was through this appearance that he was converted. And after his conversion, he went on to write over half of the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians were all epistle documents that Paul wrote. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Philemon, Titus, books that Paul wrote. And I want to turn to one of those books today and give you some insight into the personality trait of Paul because I think this is a personality trait that we all need. This is what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Are you ready? It's a bit of a shocker. It's called, uh, well, I'll just read it to you. He says here, what things were gained for me, in other words, the many accomplishments that he had as a Pharisee, as a Jew, as a well-to-do individual, what things were gained for me, I counted loss for Christ. So here's the first thing you get. He was not occupied with his past. He was occupied with a person. 
He was not occupied with his past. He was occupied with a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people live in the past. That's all they have to remember is the past. But there is something better. It's called a personal sense of destiny. And when you are occupied with Christ, then you have this personal sense of destiny, knowing that you shall see him one day, that you shall be with him one day, that you shall rule and reign with him someday. So I'm not saying it's wrong to look back. I mean, I look back and have fond memories. But the motivation comes from occupation with the person, not occupation with the past. So he goes on to say in verse 8 of Philippians chapter 3, yea, and I'm just reading from the King James Version of the Bible, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. So priority number one in his life is to understand Christ Jesus as Lord. My pastor is currently teaching a study in the life of Christ, and he is well over 500 hours into that study. And by the way, that's available to you if you want to tap into it. Those lessons are available on DVD or MP3. And uh, if you're interested in tapping into that, just go to my website, rickhughesministries.org, send me a letter, uh, an email, and I will tell you how you can get those 500-plus hours on the life of Christ absolutely free. There's never a charge. And this is an ongoing study. The 500 hours may be only about halfway through this deal, so you've got a lot of catching up to do if you want to study about the life of Christ. The knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is what Paul, he counted everything else as secondary. The most important thing in his life was to understand Christ Jesus as Lord. And then he says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. In other words, all things that I had in the past are now gone. And he said this, and I count those things but refuse that I may win Christ. And here's an interesting word I'm going to give you. If, you're, if you are easily offended, you might not like this, but it's in the Bible. The King James uses a nice euphemism called refuse, but the word is in the Greek New Testament, skubala. Scubala, and it means dung, dung, excrement. And so what Paul is basically saying is all of my past accomplishments are a pile of excrement. What I really desire is to know Christ, to win Christ. To win Christ is the Greek word kardino. It means to appropriate Christ practically in my life to become Christ-like, to effectively represent Christ. And that should be our job, too. If we're going to effectively represent Christ, then we must know what he thought. 
You can't represent him if you don't understand what he thought. And therefore, we see in Philippians where we are mandated to let this mind be in us that was also in Christ Jesus. We're mandated to think like he thought. And we know that he thought from the basis of humility, not arrogance. We know that he thought from the basis of divine viewpoint, not human viewpoint. And so this is critical that we not operate under arrogance and that we operate under divine viewpoint in our life. Paul goes on to say, and that I be found in him, not possessing my own righteousness. Possessing your own righteousness means minus R, human good. Remember the verse that says, he who knew no sin was made sin for us so that we may be made the righteousness of God through him? His righteousness plus R Our righteousness minus our, in other words, he's perfect righteousness, we're perfectly unrighteous. But what about God? How can I have a relationship with God? Is God plus our perfectly righteous or minus our perfectly unrighteous? Well, that's obvious. God is plus our. If I'm going to have a relationship with a perfectly righteous God, then I must be perfectly righteous myself. Because what the righteousness of God rejects, the justice of God will judge. So if God looks at me and sees unrighteousness, the justice of God will judge me. But listen again, he who knew no sin was made sin for us so that we may be made the righteousness of God through him. So when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Thus, the righteousness of God is satisfied, and the justice of God does not judge me. The justice of God judged Jesus Christ on the cross, the one who knew no sin and became sin. So when Paul said in verse 9 of Philippians chapter 3, I want to be found in him not having my own righteousness, because the Bible says there are none that are righteous, not even one, to offend your sensibilities again. The Bible says that our righteousnesses are like a filthy rag in God's eyes. I would truly offend you if I told you the Hebrew word for the filthy rag. So let's just say that it's not something very nice. Twice, now in the Bible, Something is used that's not very nice. Dung and the filthy rag. And this is what human good is. This is what human good, arrogant human good, human self-function, this is what it is to God. It's nothing. And so if we think that God is turned on, God is impressed, God is happy because we don't, cuss or we don't drink or we don't smoke or we don't whatever. That's not what's turning God on. God is not impressed with how good you are. God is not impressed with what family you come through. God is not impressed with how you dress. The thing that impresses God is if 
you have equal righteousness. And the only way you can ever have equal righteousness is to come through Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I do not want to be found in my own righteousness, which is from the law, observing the law of Moses, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The Bible tells us that, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest someone should brag about it. Your righteousness and Paul's righteousness is appropriated by means of faith alone in Christ alone. When you put your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, that righteousness is imputed to you. Then Paul goes on to say, and here is the emphasis of what he wants, that I may know him. That's problem-solving device number 10. That's occupation with Christ. That I may know him. That I may know him. Do you know him? Do you know what he thinks? He lives in you. The Bible tells you that, that you are indwelled by Christ Jesus. Remember the verse, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him. As a believer in Jesus Christ, when you are in fellowship with God, Christ is in you. He's identifying with you. He's dining with you. Do you know what to say to him? Do you know what to even ask him? If you came face to face with Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, today, (laughs) what would you do? What would you say? Paul said that I may know him, and I may know the power of his resurrection. What is it that resurrected Christ from the dead? It was the omnipotence of God the Father. God the Father is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. And it was his omnipotence that Jesus Christ trusted when he went to the cross. See, Jesus Christ, our Lord, had to make a decision. Would he willingly die and trust that the Father, God the Father, would resurrect him from the dead? And he did. As a man, that's exactly what he did. This is what you and I must do. We will go to the grave. That's no doubt about it, because these bodies cannot operate in heaven. But if you're ever going to be relaxed about death, if you're ever going to have a peace about death, you have to trust that the Father will resurrect you just like he resurrected Jesus Christ. It's even said in in, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain together shall be caught up with them in the clouds forever. There is a resurrection, and you must understand that. The grave is not the end. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. 
The power of his resurrection is the most powerful thing in the world. The fellowship of his suffering, well, Jesus told the disciples, if you're going to follow me, you must pick up the cross. You're going to suffer the same things that I suffered. The same people that hated me, Jesus told the disciples, will hate you. You're going to have to be willing to follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And that means, as Paul goes on to say, being conformed even until his death. In other words, each day is a day of conformity. Each day in the life of the believer, we're being conformed by means of two things, by means of God the Holy Spirit and by means of the Word of God. So as we learn the Word of God and as God the Holy Spirit uses that in our life, it conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's a daily thing for you and me. And then he goes on to say, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead is the exit resurrection. It's when the dead in Christ rise first. As we've already mentioned to you, this takes place at the rapture. The next event that's scheduled to happen in the history of the church is the rapture. The exit resurrection. When Jesus Christ will come and any believer on this earth, wherever he may be, will be taken off in an instant. And there will be nothing left but unbelievers to go into the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation. That's where the 666 comes in. Not for you. You'll be in heaven. But during the tribulation. And there will be people who will get wise after the rapture. And they will accept Christ as their Savior. And they will evangelize in those seven years. And more than likely, it will cost them their lives. So, you're living in a wonderful time. You're living in a time of peace and prosperity. And it is a time for you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say in verse, four, in verse 12, I, I'm not already there. I haven't attained it. Not like I'm already perfect, but I follow after. If that, I may apprehend that for which also I have been apprehended by Christ. In other words, he's saying I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. I still fail, but I'm following him. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said, follow me. The Greek word, akolotheo, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And Paul is saying here, that I'm following Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, verse 13, Brethren, speaking to believers, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I'm not there yet. I haven't achieved my objective yet. But he goes on to say, This one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. Now, this is something you must listen to. Do not ever go back to your failures. Don't handicap yourself by dwelling on your past failures. 
I don't know what you did, what you think you did. Don't go back. Rebound the sin and keep moving. Admit the sin to God and go on. If the dust clears and you're still alive, God has a plan for your life. He's not through with you. So rebound and keep moving. Forget about the things that are behind. This is what Satan will bring up to you. This is what Satan will throw into your face. He will tell you what a failure you are. He will tell you what a lousy person you are. He will tell you what a hypocrite you are. And he will do his best to shut you down as a witness for Jesus Christ. That means that he would try to keep you from sitting under the authority of a pastor. He would try to keep you from being filled with the Holy Spirit. He would try to keep you from representing Christ. This is his objective, to shut you down. And so Paul said, I forget those things that are behind me, and I reach forth unto those things that are in front of me. I keep moving one day at a time, one hour at a time. That's what the Christian life is, you know, one day at a time. None of us are perfect. None of us are going to be perfect in tomorrow or the next day. It's one day at a time. I take in the word of God today, and I apply what I learned today. I learn tomorrow. I learn the next day. Some I may apply. Some I may not. Some I may use, and some I may not. I may fail, and I have to take the test again, go back again, relearn it until I am in submission to God's plan. So Paul goes on to say, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing towards the mark. The mark is the finish line. The mark is where the race is complete. The mark is where the winner's hand is held high. That's what Paul is saying. I don't want to be a loser. I don't want to live my life and not fulfill the objective that Christ has for me. I want to do everything he wants me to do. I want to fulfill my life to the maximum so that I can cross the finish line, so that I can receive the prize. What is the prize? Well, there are a lot of different crowns that God gives, and we don't have time to go through that study. So let's just take this one. How about this? Well done, my good and my faithful servant. Would you like to hear those words in heaven? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You don't have to be a big giver to hear that. You don't have to sacrifice all your fun time in life to hear that. You just have to grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on a daily basis. Daily you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Daily you take in the Word of God under the ministry of a qualified pastor. And daily you represent Jesus Christ to your friends, to your community, to your neighborhood, daily. It's going to affect how you think. It's going to affect how you treat people. You're going to treat people in grace. It's going to affect how you talk because your vocabulary is going to change. 
you'll know words you never knew before. Yeah, like sanctification, justification, imputation. Yeah, you'll learn new words. Your conversation will take on new tunes, new edges, new ways of saying things, because you will be changing into the image of Christ. Your life is to be spent changing into the image of Jesus Christ. And thus you are pressing towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The high calling of God, that's God allowing you this opportunity, God allowing you this privilege to represent Christ, to be identified with Christ. Without that identity, you have nothing. You have nothing without that identity. Jesus Christ is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is your provider. And you must understand that. The mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, was made sin for us so that we may be made the righteousness of God by means of him. The fact that you can have a relationship with God is compliments of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul said. I want to know him. Everything else is nothing. The most important thing is to know him and not be found in my own righteousness. I haven't haven't apprehended everything yet, but he said, I know this. I may fail, but I'll get up and keep moving, and I will press forward to the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That is a winner's attitude. That's the attitude of the Apostle Paul. And that must be your attitude as well. Whatever's in the past, whatever failure you've had, throw it out the window and forget about it. If you're alive, God has a plan for your life. Don't go back to your failures. Press on in the race. Move forward towards the mark of the prize the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You are saved. You're a member of the royal family of God, and there's no sense you sitting on the sideline worrying about something you did in the past. Rebound it. Take in the word of God and get prepared because God is going to use you. The Bible is full of people that failed, from Peter to David to Moses, full of people that failed. And you and I, we fail also. The difference is that some people, when they fail, stay down, and others, when they fail, get up. You may fail more than once, get up. You may fail more than twice, get up. You may fail more than three times, get up. And keep moving, keep learning, keep growing, because it's only then that Christ will be glorified in your life. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. 
If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.